If you were able to walk into a room confident that you would be well-received, seen, heard, and appreciated by others, and all it took was a few changes in how you navigate your everyday relationships, would you be willing to make those changes? It is possible to be both fully authentic and to experience the best relationships of your life. Now, here's the host of Navigating Complicated Relationships with behavior expert, Nikki Gaffin-Stone. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Myth-Busting Parenting Edition. <clears throat> and of course, I need to clear my throat right away. This is Michaela Gaffin-Stone. Right? What? Do I mean Mickey? Well, same person, but Michaela's my real name. And I decided I'm going to revert back to that. So you'll get used to hearing a mix of the two for a while, but it's all me. Okay, so Mickey, Michaela, that would be me. And I am your host of Navigating Complicated Relationships here on the Inspire Choices Network. And I've been hearing a lot of things lately. Well, I always hear them, but a lot lately about myths that people think, oh, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. And I really don't like people being shut on. So this whole episode is how to not get shut on. Okay, so if you hear conflicting parenting advice from all sides and become overwhelmed by the whole, you should be doing this, no, no, do it that way, all this kind of conversation, then this is the right place for you to be. The it's my way or you're wrong, that is a very old style of parenting, and it's it's a desperation for control. It's not really what we want to do today. Uh, we've, we've moved past that. Past that. So anyway, uh, there are some methods that parents can use that work better than others. Yes. And we're going to explore those today. And the yardstick we're going to use is what results do you get when you use these particular methods? And we can look more closely at that because sometimes you think it's going to work, but does it? Let's look. Let's see what we come up with. Okay. So today it's a no judgment zone. It's always a no judgment zone. Parenting is tough. Everybody has to do the best they can with the tools they have. And remember what you bring in to the whole parenting picture is basically what you were parented with. And some of that will still be good. Some of that just doesn't apply anymore. And some of that, frankly, was probably pretty awful. So let's look at what we have now and what you can choose, okay? So I'm gonna start with something I heard today, which was, what does an adult child owe a parent who abused them? Interesting question right? Interesting answer, nothing. But then the answer is the same whether you're abused or not, right? So let's get away from the idea that your child owes you anything. And sometimes this idea can come up from, it's the language we use, right? Like, I sacrificed everything for you. I did this so that you could X, Y, Z, you know, insert thing here. But Let's explode that myth right away, okay? You don't sacrifice anything for your child. That is the wrong energy. You choose to do certain things in the hopes that it will benefit your child, and you choose certain courses of action 
because you have a child, but that is you being an adult making a responsible decision. It's not a sacrifice. Okay, you're not sacrificing for your child. You're you're being there as, as the parent for your child, hopefully. So your child doesn't owe you. It's not a transaction. And they didn't say, please, can I be born now? You know, you you chose to have kids or you ended up with them, however that went about. And, and now you have the child. It is your responsibility to raise that child as best you can. They don't owe you. But what we can look at is what kind of relationship do you want with that child when they're older, when they're adults? What kind of conversations do you want to be able to have with them? Do you want it to be all, you know, you call me because I make you feel guilty? Um, I see you once a year. Or is it that you, they stay in touch with you because they want to? What kind of relationship do you want with your child? That's the thing to look at, not what do they owe you? But I did find that a really interesting question because clearly that person had been thinking about it and wondering, you know, do I owe this parent something? So, you know, abused or not? No, you don't. That's the short answer. Now, the myth busting today, I'm here to give you some practical options. And given that we just talked about a child who, you know, if you're abused, do you have this relationship or not? We've already answered that, but it takes me on to the next thing, which is spanking. Okay, now I come across this so much as a BCBA. I'm a board certified behavior analyst. I work with kids with autism and other diagnoses, as well as regular kids. Like behavior is behavior. But one of the things I come across often is people who are under pressure from their parents to spank the child. And I've seen language used such as, uh, th there was one um, friend of mine who had a child and the baby was about two months old. And the father-in-law said, well, I hope you are going to warm his bottom occasionally when it's needed. Okay, that's, that's very sort of sweet language for, I hope you're gonna hit your child. You know, that's, that's basically what it is. Let, let's call it what it is. You don't warm a child's bottom. You, you hit them. You hurt them. That's the point of hitting a child. And then spare the rod, spoil the child. That is so old and so unexamined. It doesn't mean anything. And it's certainly not applicable to this day and age. So let's look at what happens if you do spank your child. What are you teaching them? Well, you are teaching that child that when you're not happy with someone, you can hit them. You're teaching that child that they are not safe with you, the adult who's raising them, because if your mood strikes you, you'll hit them. Now, remember, this child has a very small frame of reference. Their life experience is tiny. They, they may or may not be out of diapers. Like we are talking little kid here with not a lot of reference. So if you're spanking them, all they're learning is pain, parent, these things are associated. Now, I don't know that you really want to teach that, but okay, let's just move on to the next thing that people usually tell me is they won't misbehave because they'll know better. Well, what they've actually learned, and I have seen this so many times in so many places, what they've actually learned is to be sneaky. They will not do the thing that you would don't want them to do because they've learned, yes, they've learned, don't let this parent see this. 
but they haven't learned why they shouldn't do it and they haven't learned what to do instead. So that child will go do that thing in spades everywhere else except in front of you. So what happens is the community, the school, people around you, they know what your child's behavior is like. You don't. You're the only person out of the loop because that child is afraid to show you and they know that that's not going to end well. So that's what they've learned is to be sneaky. Then, you know, kids that are bullied at home, bully at school. Now, bullying, it's a strong word, yes, and and I may be ruffling some feathers at this point. You know, I've only ever tapped my child. Well, the message to the child is the same. You're not happy, you hit. You don't, you you know, you want to express something that says no, stop. You're not going to use words or remove yourself from the situation. You're going to smack them because that's what you've learned at home. So what results do you want from the spanking? And really, could you not use words? You know, we, we often ask kids, use your words. <clears throat> Excuse me. Don't, don't throw things at that child. Use your words. But then if you're a parent who spanks, where are your words? What are you using? So let's examine that and see what do you want to get from this behavior of yours with your child? Are you trying to control them? Well, you'll get a lot more honey out of that if you explain to the child what you do want to see and reinforce that. So you see the behavior you like and you say, whoa, that's great. Well done. Woo-hoo, high five or whatever the child likes. Right. Doesn't involve spending money on them. It just involves reinforcing, showing them that that's a good thing. And every time they do that, you show them that's a good thing. No spanking is involved. So unless you are consenting adults and you find it fun, don't spank. That's basically what I'm going to say there. And I'm not generally somebody who's going to tell you, do this, don't do that. But on spanking, really, I've seen nothing that shows me it's okay. And just as a, a final note on that one, parents will often say, well, I was spanked and I'm okay. And my question there is, are you though? Really? Do you not have any fallout from that? I suspect you do if you look carefully. And your grand, your, the grandparents, your parents who did the spanking, of course they're going to say it's a good thing. They did it. Nobody wants to say, I did this as a parent and that sucked. You know, it, it's not something we want to do. So tread gently there because you don't want to upset your parents who want you to do the spanking, but at the same time, you don't need to perpetuate that. You can break that cycle. If you need help with that, come talk to me. I have a lot of things that you can tell your parents and a lot of ways to work with your child so that you never need to do that. It's simply not a tool in your toolkit that's worth the fallout. You'll get an awful lot from it. So You'll notice that a lot of these old practices, such as hitting children in the name of discipline, are aimed at subduing, controlling, containing, right? And if you think of some of the fairy stories that you may or may not have heard of a ch- as, as a child, you know, the, um, the really old-fashioned ones where you go out into the woods and a witch or a wolf eats you, something like that, these stories were told to very small children to scare the living daylights out of them so that they would stay home while the parents went out and worked 16 hours a day. There was no babysitting. There were no options. 
So the tool that the parents used was to scare the blue blazes out of the child. And it worked to a large extent. And where it didn't work, they probably ended up with some problems out in the woods there. But that's where that came from. And it was put in place to keep the child safe in absence of anything else. Like they they probably tied them down sometimes, who knows? But you didn't have a lot to work with, right? So look at what you're still using and ask yourself, what am I teaching when I do this? Am I aiming for fear? Is that what I want? Because if it is, then spanking is a great way to go. And yelling at a child is going to be another one because you're teaching them that although you want them to have control, you don't really have it. Hmm. Interesting. Let's look at timeout. I'm just going to very quickly go there because timeout is a, it can be fun. (laughs) It can be what now? Now, when my kids were little, if I found that I was getting very stressed about something and there was a lot of noise, I would tell them, mom needs a timeout. I am going to go over there and read my book. And I'd show them on the clock when I was going to be back. And I wouldn't be far from them, but they would have to leave me alone while I read my book. That was my time out. I actually didn't give my kids time out. But you know what happened? It was really interesting. Every time I took time out, my kids went very quiet and they were sort of, oh, mom needs a time out. Let's just play over here, you know, And, and it was interesting, but it worked all the way through. Giving a child a time out, they don't really know what to do with it. But you do, right? You've got something you can do. You can play on your phone. You can read a book. You can do some yoga, whatever you need to do to get yourself regulated again so that you can get back in there and play with your kids or do whatever you need to do with them. So time out. Sure. Maybe the parent could take it, though, because if you're using it as a punishment, you're not really teaching your child much. And over the break, which is just coming up, I want you to think about this. If you're asking your child to sit on a chair, as a punishment, and then you want them to sit on a chair at the table to eat dinner, and then you want them to sit on a chair at school to learn, what message are they getting about time spent in a chair? Is it the one you really want them to have? Think about that over the break, and I will see you in just a moment, right here on Navigating Complicated Relationships. Don't go anywhere. I have more things to throw at you after the break. What if your relationships could be a source of delight instead of a source of struggle? In a world where human interactions are anything but straightforward, tuning in to Navigating Complicated Relationships with behavior expert Mickey Gaffin-Stone will offer you insights, tools, and a whole new level of understanding for you to use right now. Listen for Navigating Complicated Relationships with Mickey Gaffin-Stone Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Mountain, 9 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. 
contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email becomeahost at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. This is Navigating Complicated Relationships with Mickey Gaffin Stone. To participate in the program, join the live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. You can also send an email to mickey at gaffinstone.com. Now back to the program. Welcome back, everyone. Right before the break, I asked you to think about the habit of having a child sit in a chair for timeout, sit in a chair to eat food, and sit in a chair to learn things at school. You're giving them some very conflicting information about what it means to go sit in a chair. Excuse me. So the thing with timeout, it can be useful for a child when they are becoming so sort of wound up and excited that they don't know what else to do with themselves. And so if you set this up with them beforehand, you can let them know that when you get too excited and and you sort of getting out of your own control, you can sit on this chair and just practice some breathing and teach them deep breathing. Give them a thing to do while they're on that chair. And, you know, you can give it a sort of just sit there for a moment or two, get your breath ready. And when you're back, you, you know, when you're ready, you can come back. And that gives the child control over their timeout, just like you have as a parent. You can have control over your timeout. So you're teaching them that you can use that time for self-regulation, and you can teach that pretty early on. If they're old enough to sit on a chair, you can start doing breathing with them. So, of course, you're going to get varying results depending on the age, but it's a great time to start. It's not going to be successful if you sit them there in order to have them think about what they've done or something like that. Do you remember hearing that as a kid? Sit there and think about what you've done. Who does that? Like it doesn't work, right? You don't sit there and think about what you've done. You sit there and think grumble, grumble, grumble. It doesn't actually help. It doesn't teach you any useful coping skills and the parent's still irritated and the kid comes back and the chances are they're going to do something else fairly shortly because they didn't learn to handle anything while they were sitting there. So have a look at those timeouts and how you're going to use them. And someone just said, full of shame. Yes. The child that's made to sit there in the corner, like, oh, I'm a bad person. And remember, kids make everything about themselves. This is normal. It's the only thing they can do because that's the only frame of reference they have. So if you tell a kid that was naughty, go sit over there. Even if you're not telling them you're naughty, and frankly, I hear that a lot too, the child interprets, I'm bad, I get to sit here. And then they start to experience shame. Babies aren't born experiencing shame. We teach it to them. So think about that for a little bit. That's that's a heck of a thing to be teaching your child, shame. And then they spend the rest of their life trying to unlearn it, just like we're doing now as adults, right? So. I'm throwing all these myths at you and and sort of what they really mean, because I think it's important. And this is a whole lot of what I've been hearing from people. This is real time stuff. This is not me making it up out of the ether. So chances are you've got at least one of these somewhere in your repertoire. And that means that you have something you can work on. So that's cool, right? If you're learning this stuff today, woohoo, you can go use it. And why wouldn't you? You know, when I had kids, 
I had no idea what I was going to be doing with them. I didn't particularly have a very good role model for me to look at. So I had to figure it out. And I tried asking people just like you probably all have. And I tried looking at books. None of them seemed to be about my child. They were about some mythical kid, Miss Average or something, but they weren't about mine. So I had to figure a lot of stuff out. And then I went and became a behavior analyst later, having been a Montessori teacher. So I've done this path of learning a lot about kids' behaviors. And this is what I'm giving you now. So don't think I'm judging you. I'm giving you what I have spent a lifetime learning. So please look at it from that perspective. Now, when you take your child, your little, we're still on littles, you take your child to kindergarten or preschool and they scream all the way, right? Ah, no, don't leave me. Ah. And you get the child into the classroom and they're sobbing and, you know, terribly upset. And then they find a toy and start to play. What do you do? Do you choose that moment to go, shh, we're just going to leave now? And you quietly disappear so that you don't upset your child? Or do you go and tell the child you're leaving and have them cry again? Ooh, that's a dilemma, right? We've all faced that, I think, at some point. If you've had kids anyway, you have. And if you're a kindergarten teacher or a preschool teacher, you've seen it. Well, I can actually answer that question as to which one is better, having been the parent and the preschool teacher. And that is, don't leave your child without telling them you're going because that child experiences abandonment. They have no idea where you've gone. They have no idea whether you're coming back or not. You might think it's a no brainer. And of course I'm coming back. I always come back, but your child doesn't know that. They don't have enough information yet. All they know is they started to play and then you weren't there. And that's the information that child has. So if you've already done this, you probably found that when you did get home later, your child's hanging onto one of your legs when you want to go to the bathroom, or they want to come in there with you, or they're banging on the door. What are you doing? What are you doing? Because they've experienced abandonment, and now they're afraid they don't know when you're next going to disappear. So that's something that, wow, you know, once you know that, I think you can see it very clearly that yeah, that makes sense. The child would feel abandoned and they're very uncertain. They don't know where they are in relation to everything else. Are you, are you, am I now left in school? Am I going to be here forever? You know, there's there's a lot of uncertainty that comes in. So much as you might not want to do it, I would say telling your child, even though they're still screaming or, you know, they're just starting to settle down, I have to go now. I'm going here. I'll be back at this time. The clock looks like that and leave, even though they're crying. The teacher can handle it. And usually I found when I worked in the preschool that the kids would stop crying as soon as the parent left. So the parents left feeling terrible and the child's actually doing okay. There's a whole lot of dynamics there, but you can trust me on this one. I saw it a lot of times. So don't leave your child without telling you, telling them that you're going unless you know, you you are okay with having a clingy kid, but then they have that fear in them. So why would you do that? So next thing I have on my list, and I have quite a list of things, someone had asked me about, is it okay to have your baby sleeping in bed with you? Well, that's up to you. 
<laughs> I mean, do you have room? Do you are you a heavy sleeper? Are you likely to roll on the baby? If it's a child and not a baby, that's a little easier because you're less likely to roll on them. You do that for as long as you're comfortable and your and your marriage is doing okay. You know, um, that's entirely up to you. There are ways to gently have your child stop sleeping in the same bed as you at night and move into their own room. And that's a whole process. And depending on where your child's at and how old they are as to what that would look like. But again, this is something I can work on with you if, if you have concerns about this. There's no right or wrong about the baby being in bed with you, though. That's entirely up to you. That's your choice. That's your household. That's what you do. Same thing with breastfeeding, assuming you're breastfeeding. I have heard so many stories about how long you should and shouldn't do that. Well, we're not going to get should on here. This is very much up to what do you have the time, energy, strength? You know, what, what can you give and what does your child want to receive? You know, my kids, I had one that said, I'm good, thanks, at nine months. And another one that said, no, I could keep going. And he was two. You know, so it, it just it depends on what the child needs and what else they're getting from that that touch with you. Now, if this is a bottle fed child, you're less likely to have the problem for how long they go. But again, it depends on whether you use the bottle as a soother as well as a source of nutrition. So there's a bunch of things to look at there. I'm not saying you should be doing one over the other because I wouldn't should on you, but there's no hard and fast rule, right? If your child's healthy and your child is doing well, generally speaking, you know, they're not failure to thrive or anything, then you're doing fine. Keep doing whatever it is you're doing until you have a problem with it. And then there are ways to gently wean off and do different things, learn different coping skills, right? And different sources of comfort. Hugs are always good though. Except for my next piece, which is, I, I entitled that for myself, Hugs for Grandma, because this is where you see a small child. I saw this at the airport not that long ago. Little kiddo, she was probably two, two and a half. She was playing, she was busy, she was kind of doing something on the, um, she got stuff on the, the chair at the airport and grandma was leaving. And she wanted a big hug and a kiss and to say goodbye. Child didn't want that. The parents were really wanting her to do that. And I sort of couldn't really intervene. So I decided I was going to wander off and, you know, leave them to it. Because here's the thing. If the child doesn't want to give grandma a hug, grandma needs to be mature enough to accept no. Even though she might really want to, she'll catch the child next time. You know, the child needs to have a sense of autonomy, even when they're really little. They have to have something that's theirs and their body would be a great place to start. Right. So if you can manage to not make your child hug someone that they don't want to hug or give goodbye kisses or whatever it is that the sort of grandparents or the, the other adults in your family require of this small child. Let's have the adults be the adults and they can accept no. And the child can be given the grace to choose yes or no, right? Because then they, they're less likely to have that element of people pleasing later. Because, yeah, this is where people pleasing starts. It's a big point. 
where you're saying, okay, you don't get to choose what you do with your body. You need to go over here and hug this person, even though you don't want to. And it doesn't matter what the reasons are. Do you have to have specific reasons for saying no? I hope not, because no is a complete sentence. And when we can teach little kids this, that's a wonderful thing. Obviously, they're going to try using it in places where it's not applicable and you teach them that too. So when you say it's bedtime and they say no, that one's not an option. But you want to go sit on Santa's lap? No, that one should be an option. You know, that's that's not going to help that child further in life. And think about while we're at it with the Santa thing, think about the confusing message you give. Don't talk to strangers. Don't go anywhere with strangers. Here, go sit on this old dude's lap who's, you know, sitting there all hidden with all this hair and you're going to go sit on his lap and tell him what you want. Having spent the rest of this child's life telling them not to do exactly that thing, no wonder they get confused and no wonder they cry. So think about it from that aspect, not just Santa, but any adult that says, you know, I have to hug this child. No, no, you don't. You can be the adult. So if you have any questions about this, I'd love for you to throw them into into chat for me or, you know, you can shoot me a message at mickey at gaffinstone.com. I'm not changing my um, email address or my website. So you can find me there in these places, mickey at gaffinstone.com or www.gaffinstone.com. These places are still there. Come contact me. Talk to me about these things. Meanwhile, we are going to have a little break. So catch up with all your note taking and don't go anywhere. We will be right back. I have even more to tell you. Woo! What if your relationships could be a source of delight instead of a source of struggle? In a world where human interactions are anything but straightforward, tuning in to Navigating Complicated Relationships with behavior expert Mickey Gaffin-Stone will offer you insights, tools, and a whole new level of understanding for you to use right now. Listen for Navigating Complicated Relationships with Mickey Gaffin-Stone Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Mountain, 9 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. Inspired Choices Network now has its very own mobile app. Our free app offers live streaming shows, along with thousands of podcasts and TV episodes. Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. This is Navigating Complicated Relationships with Mickey Gaffin-Stone. To participate in the program, join the live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. You can also send an email to Mickey at GaffinStone.com. Now back to the program. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Navigating Complicated Relationships. This episode is Myth-Busting Parenting Edition. And I am your host, Michaela Gaffin-Stone, formerly known as Mickey. Both names are correct. You, you, you can't go wrong, just as long as you call me, okay? 
Um, so before the break, I was talking about child autonomy and not making them do, you know, hug people that they don't want or kiss people that they don't want. Absolutely. Now, I don't know that this is so much a myth, but it's something that's happening a lot right now. I see it and I find it very, very disturbing. And that is the trends on places like TikTok and Instagram reels and so on, where you see a small child say swearing or, you know, they're, they're doing something that ends up with them getting hurt. I've seen kids getting hurt and you can hear the parents laughing or the adult, whoever's currently in charge of the situation. You can hear them laughing. But these things are being filmed and put out there. Wow. I mean, really? You are putting your kid out there in, in the most vulnerable of situations. You're having them do things that they will get into trouble for in other circumstances. Wow. Why would you do that? Parents, if you are people who are making reels of your kids, could you please stop and think about this for a moment? You did not have that when you were a child. Chances are. So your stuff isn't out there on the Internet. Do you really want to do that to your child? And it, how confusing is it for the kid that you're raising when you, you show them that it's really funny that they swear and you show them that it's really funny that they get hurt? Holy smokes, what are they learning from you? They're learning that it's okay here, but it's not okay there, I don't understand. And then they learn that, boy, they're really not safe with you, are they? It's funny when they get hurt. What happened to the parenting where you comfort your child? As I mentioned in the beginning, some things that are from previous parenting experiences, you know, from older generations and so on, some things are a thread. They follow through. Human contact, human kindness is one of them. Hugging your child when they're hurt would be a really good idea. Not filming them. What are you doing? Please put the phone down and look at your child. So, I, I you know, like I said, I don't think this is a myth, but... If you think that this is okay and that it's an acceptable way to raise your child, I would love to have a conversation with you so that we can look at where your child's going to end up with this trajectory and what they're learning from this behavior. So if you've done it already, I urge you, please consider not doing that to your child. Take reels of your puppies and your cats instead. Those are funny. Those can do some funny things. But when it's a kid, they're learning from you in this moment. And I've seen some very confused looking ch children who, you know, they're, they're asked to repeat something they said. And they've obviously, they're obviously saying something that they've heard from the parent and the parent's laughing. But you can bet when the camera's turned off, it's not funny anymore. What is that child learning from you? Wow. Please think about that. That's, you know, it's, it's, if it's not funny when the camera's off, it's not funny when the camera's on. So moving to something else, a little less sort of whew, gets me going a little less anyway, is again, not really a myth, but it's, it's a thing that we do a lot because we learned it as kids. And that is, can you imagine you set your child up to lie? What? No, I don't. I want honesty from my kids. Well, okay. Think of the time when you said to your child something along the lines of, no, you can't have any cookies. We're going to be eating dinner soon. Child disappears into the kitchen, comes back later, chocolate all over the face, you know, or crumbs, whatever. 
you can see this child did exactly what you said not to do. Okay, what do you do with that situation now? Because chances are you say to them, did you eat the last cookie or did you go and eat X, Y, Z? And now you've given your child a choice and neither of them is a win. They're either going to say, I did, and then they're going to get into trouble because they ate the cookie or they're going to lie and say, no, no, I didn't. And they might get away with it. Now, your child doesn't know enough to know that you can already see it all over their face, literally. So chances are they're going to lie. They're going to say, no, no, I didn't. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was the dog. You know, something like that. So you just set your kid up to lie. That's, that's basically how it happens. If you can see that the child's done something, or you know for a fact they did that thing, don't ask them. Don't give them the setup to lie, but just say, I can see you ate that cookie. I did ask you not to. I don't think I'll be buying any for a few days or whatever you want the result to be. Not a big sort of that's it, you're losing your iPad for the next three days, but something that fits with what they did. Oh, you ate the cookie before dinner. Well, I guess there aren't any for after dinner. That's pretty simple. Okay, they just had dessert first. It's not a catastrophe, but you're acknowledging that you can see what they did and that there is a result for that. The result is they're not going to get dessert. Okay, they had it first. So think about those situations. Where do you know what the answer is? And you ask the child anyway. If you don't want to teach them to lie, don't ask them those questions. It is a setup. And it's it's a very, you know, you're put in that difficult position of, do I say I ate the chocolates? Oh, you know. And, and you're putting them in that difficult position where you don't really need to. They'll have plenty of that when they're teenagers. They'll they'll do it for themselves. You don't have to set them up. So that's, you know, bear in mind, how much does your child really understand of the concepts that you're talking to them about? Now, I'll often mention communication being crucial. You know, we communicate to kids in a way that we think is clear. And it took me a while to discover that, well, actually, no, what we say is pretty vague. We spend a lot of time in the gray area in the middle of communication, which is the sort of the nuance, the the getting it out of context, that kind of thing, where, you know, you'll say to your child, be polite. Okay, I'd like everybody that's listening to write down their definition of polite. And then if you can find somebody else to compare to, chances are you'll have some similarities, but you'll have some differences. Did you ever define that for your child? No, we never do. Right. Or be quiet. Okay, but what do you want them to do instead? We don't give enough information to our kids and then we expect them to know what we're thinking. We really do do that as parents. Everybody's done it at some point. It's just because you grow up that way too, right? So I'm just trying to bring an awareness to this because this can set you up for all kinds of fights with your kid that you don't need to have if you can stop and think, how do I want to say this so that they'll get what I've said? And then if you check for understanding, that's that's the gold standard right there. You know, obviously, this requires your child to be at a certain age and stage and a certain place in their development. But if they can converse with you in this way, it's great. 
they learn how to rephrase what you're saying so that you know they've understood. Because if they just parrot it back to you, that's not the same as understanding. That's remembering what you said. You know, chances are I could teach you some words right now that you don't know the meaning of, but you could parrot them back at me. It's not very useful, though, right? So think about how much does your child really understand? How old are they? You know, how long have they been on this planet for? And what are their learning experiences? It can be so interesting when you look at it from their perspective. Now, I want to move on to school systems. Oh, boy. Big topic. Just going to go into, again, fairly young kids. Let's start there. But going back to that piece I was saying earlier about you sit in the chair when you've been badly behaved, in air quotes, um, and, and you sit in the chair to eat your food and you sit in the chair to learn. Well, I'm thinking of two different school systems right now. One is the Montessori system, which I trained in and my kids were going to. I trained in it because I wanted to know what they were doing, basically, and have the same hours as them and so on. And what I learned from Montessori is you watch the child to see what they're interested in. And then you give them all the tools they need to explore that so that they can really learn the thing they're ready to learn. And kids move. They don't sit still. They can't, that's not what their little bodies are made for. Their bodies are made to explore and to move. So when you have them sit still in a chair and focus on what the teacher's saying, well, yeah, you're going to have some kids that look like they have ADHD. Sure, <laughs> because they're not supposed to be sitting still and listening. So those preschools and kindergartens and Montessori schools that have the kids get up and move around and learn with their hands, learn by doing, that is fabulous. That's going to give you a child the best growth at that early part of life. And did you know that for brain development, children, and this is all the way up through school, kids are supposed to spend up to seven hours a day outside. That's, that's for their brain development, doing things in the environment. Now, that's not going to happen in this world. I'm not advocating for it simply because it's not practical. But if your kid's going to a school where they don't have recess or their recess is indoors or the first thing they lose when they've done something they shouldn't or not done something they should, the first thing they lose is recess. I hope you're making up for that somewhere else because that kid needs to be outside and they need to be moving. For healthy development, that's the best thing that you can do for them. But the Montessori system where they follow the child, that's what it's referred to as, it doesn't mean that it's chaos. It doesn't mean that they're not following a structure. It's actually very structured, but it's child-led rather than based on what the teacher or some bean counter sitting in an office somewhere says it should be. It's what are the, what's the kid interested in? Because when you're really interested in something, how well do you learn, right? People with ADHD will become hyper-focused on something they're really interested in. So if you have a child that's showing a particular interest in baking, for example, fabulous. You have an opportunity to really teach them some things while they're so receptive for it. And it's a life skill. So that would be wonderful. Something like baking. I have seen kids want to learn how to iron. And yeah, you give them a cool iron, they can do it. They, they love to clean tables. You know, kids love to do things and they like to see what changes. They're fascinated by stuff that adults find mundane. So 
if you can look at your child and see what they're interested in, you'll have a happier child and a lot less arguments with them. So that's another thing to think of. Again, if, if everybody could go to Montessori school, that would be wonderful. But OK, we don't have that. However, what's your home set up like? Do you have things for your child to play with that don't involve being on the iPad? Because having your kid wired to the Internet is tempting because they'll be quiet. But it will also bite you later when they don't want to give up their computer time and they start losing sleep over it because they're playing games in the middle of the night. And this can happen earlier and earlier these days because of the sophistication of the electronics and also the child using them. I mean, hey, if you want to program your smartphone, hand, hand it to a five-year-old, right? And they will totally sort it out for you in ways that you had no idea were possible. So bear these things in mind when you're working with your kids. What, what do they want? Like, if you can take just a few minutes to look, that would be so helpful. I do have more, so please don't go away. I hope you're making notes and send me your comments and your questions. I'm here for it. And if you disagree with something, let me know. I'm interested to know what you disagree with and why. So I'm, I'm down for that. You can totally tell me. Mickey at gaffinstone.com or www.gaffinstone.com. And, <laughs> and uh, you can find me there. And I'm right here on Navigating Complicated Relationships here on the Inspired Choices Network. Don't go away. One more piece. What if your relationships could be a source of delight instead of a source of struggle? In a world where human interactions are anything but straightforward, tuning in to Navigating Complicated Relationships with behavior expert Mickey Gaffin-Stone will offer you insights, tools, and a whole new level of understanding for you to use right now. Listen for Navigating Complicated Relationships with Mickey Gaffin-Stone Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Mountain, 9 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. This is Navigating Complicated Relationships with Mickey Gaffin-Stone. To participate in the program, join the live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. You can also send an email to Mickey at GaffinStone.com. Now back to the program. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Michaela Gaffin-Stone here on the Inspired Choices Network. This is Navigating Complicated Relationships. And today we're, we're myth-busting and we're looking at a few things that are new, that are current, and really need to be examined before they cause too much damage, such as videoing your child and putting them on TikTok and Instagram and other places where there are reels. And particularly when the child gets hurt, or if the child's doing something, you know, pulling on the ears of an animal, I got to tell you, that's never funny, especially not for the animal. And you can have the calmest and loveliest of dogs. And they all are if you let them be that way. You, you can have the loveliest of dog. But, you know, if, if the child pokes them in the eye and pulls their ears and bites the nose or something, then that dog might react. And then the dog's in trouble and the dog might get put down. And actually, whose responsibility is it there? the parent that lets the small child pull on the dog. So think about that if you have animals at home, teach your child respect for the animals. Teach your child not to hurt them, not to climb on them. It's not the horse. It's, you know, it's a dog and their backs can get hurt. So teach your child respect from early on. I have five dogs 
And I, I, you know, I really do understand what I'm talking about on this one. Now, I want to get into a subject that has a lot of myths about it and a lot of bad reputation. Some of it is earned from decades ago, and a lot of it is not currently valid. What am I talking about? Applied behavior analysis. This is, or ABA for short. I mentioned earlier that I'm a BCBA, that means Board Certified Behavior Analyst. I use the science of behavior change to help people move from what they're doing that's not working for them to something that does work for them of their choosing. If they're able to choose that other behavior, then it's all theirs to choose. If this is a small child who's biting someone, for example, and you want them to have a different behavior, I'm not going to ask that small child to choose the other behavior, but I'm going to find something for them that gets the attention they're seeking or whatever it is they're looking for. And that's part of behavior analysis is to figure that out. And and it's going to be something that is easy on everyone, the child, the people who are in their environment, and nobody gets hurt by being bitten. So that's where we go with behavior change science. But when ABA first came out, as it were, it was in the late 50s, and it went through some changes during the 60s and 70s and became became known as behavior modification. Now, there were a lot of things done at those times that you'd be put in jail for now. I mean, frankly, those were a hell no. You know, that they, they, they were not okay, but people didn't know differently at the time. That was the best information they had. And there are a lot of people in the autism community who have very bad thoughts about applied behavior analysis. And that can be because of who they worked with or when they worked with them or how the behaviors were chosen that were being worked on. So one of the things that a good therapist with ABA does is looks for a socially valid behavior. Now, what does that mean? It means it's something that is going to get you where you want to be in a way that you want to get there and everybody can be okay with it. Now, this is not fitting in. This is being functional. This is accessing what you want to access or getting away from the thing you want to get away from in a way that works for everyone. Nobody has to get hurt. Nobody has to be tipped up. You know, this is part of integration, if you will, into society. So applied behavior analysis is a science and it works. It's not a bad thing at all. Now, with any science, particularly a powerful one like this, where you're working on behavior, which is communication, and that is the foundation of what makes us different from the animals, right? So this is big stuff. But when you're working with that, you have to be very careful that the person who's using it is doing so with integrity They're following all the guidelines that we have as BCBAs, and there are many, I assure you. There are a book of them, and you need to have someone who's following all of those and who is simpatico with with you and with your child. And if you find someone that you're not getting along with, it's not working out for you, okay, just the same as you would with with a doctor or with any other person who's there to help you. If you're not working out with them, if it's not a good match, choose someone else. You don't have to stay with that one person. Now, this is easy for me to say because these services are not widely available. Um, It's better in the U.S. than anywhere else. 
but you know sometimes you don't have that many options however you can learn a lot of it you can learn the tools of ABA to apply for yourself so parent training is one of those things that I love to do because I want to put the power of ABA into the hands of the parents I want you to know how to use this for the best effect for you for your child and for everyone around them so Applied behavior analysis is not about making everyone conform. It was at one point. It isn't now. So that reputation is no longer valid. At least it certainly shouldn't be. And if it is, there are channels for you to report that. So let me just make that clear. But ABA is a science. If you have a child with behavioral issues, whether they have a diagnosis or not, doesn't matter. It's not the diagnosis that's the important thing. It's the behavior that's the important thing. And I work with kids with behavioral issues so that they can get to a place where they're happier and their family is happier. And I got to tell you, a lot of times the family need to do some things differently as well. And that's what this whole episode has been about today, right? If you're making your child do this or if you think that's funny, you know, these kind of things, all of these need to be examined. How are they affecting your child and causing certain behaviors to come up? We start there. We look at what your child is doing and what they want to do. And then we work together to change it. So if you need some coaching around this, if you want some coaching around this, feel free to contact me. I love doing this work because it's so rewarding and I see such great changes for the children. So if you need me, contact me at gaffinstone.com or that's the website, www or email me, mickey at gaffinstone.com. You can also find me on Facebook under the name Michaela Gaffinstone, or you can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram. Come hit me up, ask your questions, bring me your comments, bring me your concerns. And if you have something that we need to do some coaching around, we can look at that too. So I look forward to hearing from you and please do be in touch. We have Oh, I actually have some bonus time. That's so cool. I thought I was out of time then. All right. So what else do we want to say just before you get going? Yeah. If you can give your child some time in the day to talk to you about their day, start when they're very young. You can learn some interesting things when you listen. So don't talk. Listen. It'd be so interesting for you to get their perspective. And it can be fun. Now we're out of time. See you next week on Navigating Complicated Thank Relationships. Thank you for listening to the Navigating Complicated Relationships show. Mickey returns Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Mountain, 9 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Until then, remember every relationship is a journey. And with the right tools, you can create stronger, more fulfilling connections.